Hello and welcome to Come Follow Up. My name is Daniel Becerra and this is Barbara Morgan Gardner. As scholars and religious educators, we're always searching for ways to help individuals and families apply the scriptures more deeply in their lives. Here on Come Follow Up, we look to enrich your daily studies of the Come Follow Me resource as we discuss life-changing principles and study the words of the prophets. We hope that our dialogue today can inspire you so that through the Spirit, you can uncover truths, experience new insights, and deepen your personal conversion. So today, we're going to be studying Moroni, chapters 7 through 9. And you can see in these scriptures that Moroni is going to share the teachings of Mormon, actually. And he's going to specifically talk about charity being the pure love of Christ. He also teaches that children are alive in Christ and that repentance entails a change of heart. And then we're going to see Moroni sorrowing. He's going to pray to the Lord. And he's also going to encourage Moroni in these last years of his life. We realize that there are a lot of things that we can talk about today. Uh, we've identified three different things that we hope to focus on. Why charity is so important, on uh, the ministering of angels, and using the gift of discernment. And to help us with our discussion today, we have a friend with us joining us, Dr. Jan Martin. Jan, welcome. Can I have a seat? Thanks, Jan. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's nice great to color, be too. Yeah. <laughs> Makes me happy. Thank you. <laughs> So Dr. Jan Martin is an assistant professor of ancient scripture at Brigham Young University. She has a PhD from the University of York, and her expertise is in 16th century Bible translation. So we're looking forward to, to learning from her today. Thank you. Great. Uh, so maybe to get it started, uh, one of the things we like to do is ask our guests, what do we need to understand going into these verses, do you think, Jen? Um, I think these uh, chapters are absolutely full of really important doctrines. You've obviously pulled out three of the big ones. Clearly... Um, the charity stands out there, um, spiritual discernment and being able to um, make choices, mm -hmm. and then motives. What's kind of our motives are the, are the big ones. We could spend a lot of time on any of those, mm -hmm. actually. So let's go to the first topic. The greatest of these is charity, and we're going to find that in Moroni chapter 7. So if we begin on charity, can you tell us a little bit about what is charity, where does it come from, and how does helping that, how does understanding that help us understand these verses? Okay, well, we see uh, charity entering into the English language in the late 12th century, early 13th century, and we see it being used in three different ways in the literature. Mm -hmm. And so it represents God's love to man, and then man's love to God, and then man's love towards man. Mm -hmm. So I like to, when I read uh, Moroni chapter 7, verse 45, and I'm reading through the description, I like to take a, a focal point of one of those mm -hmm. and really think about what it's teaching me. So, for example, if we take God's point of view and how he feels about his children, and you start reading it from that point of view from God, charity suffereth long, and he's kind, and you suddenly start getting the real deep um, understanding of how he feels about us. He doesn't um, have any jealousy towards our talents and abilities. In fact, he gave them to us and he's wanting to develop them. And so you can walk through that whole verse and you just start to feel the spirit of the love that God has for each of us. Mm -hmm. You can flip it on its head and do some self-analysis mm -hmm. and say, well, how do I feel about God? Um, and read it back that way. Do I suffer long with his plans? Am I kind in the way he does things? Am I um, jealous of the things that he has or does or get upset about something with him? And, and you can work it backwards. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, as most people read it, charity is man's love to man. And then I can an analyze how my relationships are with people. So charity is a, a really deep 
concept to me, and it really helps you um, do some real good look at my relationships with the most important people, God and others. I like how you just mentioned relationship at the end because when you were saying that this is kind of how God is and you can do a self-analysis, I just kind of put in my mind, um, true or false, and Barb suffereth long, false, <laughs> and is kind, mm, yeah. and envieth not, right? I mean, you can do that with the Lord too, but with the Lord, you know it's correct. Yes. God suffereth long. So you can actually, in a sense, you can almost, in this case at least, and I don't know if that's in every case, yeah. but in this case, you can actually just replace God's name with charity, and it's, right. it's, it's true. That's right. That's beautiful. Thanks, And, and that's Thanks, so fun to do with, with that word. And then, um, as we know with charity, it's a noun. It does not have a verbal form. And so to define it or talk about it in an action way, you have to substitute love. You can't just say, I charity you, right. you know. <laughs> Um, and so when you look down at the definition in verse 47, you see that interplay. Mm -hmm. Charity is the pure love of Christ, and you actually cannot define it without the other one. Yeah. But we don't always understand love in terms of charity, though, mm -hmm. and, and we don't have a tight connection going the other way. But one of the things in, the, in our King James Version of the Bible is 1 Corinthians 13, where this mm -hmm. comes from, mm -hmm. is... The only place you have a discourse on charity, mm -hmm. the rest of the New Testament has love in it. Mm -hmm. So you go looking for charity and you won't find it um, being discussed like you do in 1 Corinthians. And so it's kind of a, a fascinating thing to think about why did they use charity there and not mm -hmm. just put love in. Yeah. But I think charity in, in this case really teaches you some things about God and yourself and other yeah. people. Excellent. So here's a quote from Elder Oaks. He says, Even the most extreme acts of service, such as giving all of our goods to feed the poor, profit us nothing unless our service is motivated by the pure love of Christ. If our service is to be most efficacious, it must be accomplished for the love of God and the love of his children. So let's get to this question that, in, in some sense, our, our actions, they have significance and meaning and value in God's eyes only if they're accompanied by charity. So why do you think that's the case? What is the importance of charity. And Moroni talks about this as well in, in verses uh, six through nine. I think he says, you know, if you're praying, but you're not doing so with a with real intent of heart, it profiteth the person nothing. Um, if you give a gift, but you do so grudgingly, it is counted unto him as, as the same as if he had retained the gift. So this idea that our motivations and sincerity and the love behind our actions are what give them meaning. But why do you think that's the case? What is it about love that is so important to God? Annalisa, yeah. I mean, the purpose of life, God's trying to teach us and help us to become mm -hmm. more like him. Mm -hmm. And so he really doesn't care, you know, necessarily what actions, like checklists that we do, mm -hmm. but he cares about who we're becoming and how we're changing. So if we're just doing things to do them, mm -hmm. that's not fulfilling his purpose. But if we're really changing and we're doing things through motivation of charity, mm -hmm. that's when we start to change and we start to follow God's plan. Yeah. Excellent. In fact, Annalisa, the quote, it actually says, charity is attained through succession of acts that result in conversion. Charity is something one becomes. And I think that kind of goes with what Jan is saying. When we're talking about the pure love of Christ, that's, that's kind of more of an action. But when we're talking about charity, charity is something that we are. It's something that we have become. It is, in a sense, in that case, it's almost more of a noun. Is that's that right? right? And that, that's what's so fascinating about the language, for at least English anyway, is there's really bold message that it is something I become, not something I just do. And it's incredibly personal and incredibly involved, not just a piece of action that I gave to check a box. Yeah, so Jen, you, you pointed out that some of this language in, in 45 and 46 specifically, it has parallel in the King James Version of the New Testament. 
and somebody who, who has training in biblical literature, you see that a lot, not just in uh, the New Testament, but also the book of Isaiah as well and, uh, and other authors. And my question is, is why does this appear in a, in, in a different text? It, it seems like, is it the case that Joseph Smith is just copying this over or is something else going on? Um, should this uh, challenge us in some way? Like, what are we to make of these instances in which the, the King James Version seems of the Bible seems to appear in the Book of Mormon? So I reached out to my, my colleague, Dr. Joseph Spencer, uh, who's a specialist in Book of Mormon literature, um, and this is what he had to say. Uh, hi, Barbara and Daniel. This is a great question and a question a lot of people have asked because it's right there in the text asking for an answer. Uh, and scholars have made sense of this in a variety of ways. Some have pointed to the possibility that simply because it's the same God who has the same doctrine, he's going to use the same kinds of things, say the same kinds of things in different contexts and places. Uh, other scholars have suggested that there might be an ancient source that both Moroni and uh, and Paul share, and that this explains a lot of these kinds of similarities running through the Book of Mormon. Uh, other scholars suggest that Joseph Smith, as translator, has the ability to decide to some extent the language in which to cast this ancient text, uh, and he's using language familiar to him, the King James Version of the Bible. For my part, uh, I'd like to think about the role that God himself is playing in translation. That is, God is giving words to Joseph Smith in a seer stone uh, for him to dictate to his scribes, and uh, it may be that God himself is using the language of a Bible that is very familiar to the readers of the Book of Mormon so that they can understand. I don't think he's changing the ancient text so that it doesn't read as it did, but in figuring out what English words uh, will speak to people uh, as you give the sense and meaning of these ancient prophets' words, uh, I wonder if God is actually using the language of the Bible that they knew well, Latter-day Saints at the beginning and still today, uh, so that it speaks to us directly. And for me, that's a message of mercy. God loves us so much, wants so much for us to understand, that he's going to use language that's familiar uh, to us so we can uh, begin to really wrestle with the words of the prophets. Yeah, I love that, that idea that the, the language of the Book of Mormon is an expression of God's mercy, or, or to continue in our conversation, expression of God's love. You know, Joe did a great job covering the main reasons for that. Mm -hmm. But one of the things he didn't mention is this language is beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, as a biblical scholar, you know that the Hebrew people mm -hmm. said things because they wanted to say things beautifully. And mm -hmm. the Old Testament's very poetically structured. Mm -hmm. New Testament, there's, there's not as much of that, but mm -hmm. there's some. If you're going to try and get a message across, I don't know that there's any more beautiful way to say this yeah. than has been said. You can't read that and not be moved yeah. by it. It's not just what's said, but how he says yeah. it. Right? Yeah. I appreciate, Jan, your insights, especially to look at it through a different lens completely than what we typically look at when we're talking about this word. So thank you. And thank you to Joseph as well. It's a great discussion on charity. We'd like to go to our next topic, which is that of the ministering of angels. And this is something that, that is an extremely important topic today. In fact, we see in chapter 7, verse 25, uh, Wherefore, by the ministering of angels and by every word which proceedeth forth out of the mouth of God, men began to exercise faith in Christ. And thus by faith they did lay hold upon every good thing, and thus it was until the coming of Christ. This idea of the ministering of angels is, is absolutely critical, and sometimes it's, it's misunderstood. Um, one of the things that is important to me is that women, and especially our young women, understand the ministering of angels. When we partake of the sacrament, I hope we understand that in partaking of it and, and being a part of that covenant relationship, we are promising the Lord that we will remember him, but he is also promising us that we will have the ministering of angels. 
So in a sense, the young men are often, when they are ordained a deacon, they are told that they have the key of the ministering of angels. When the deacon is performing an ordinance, we, all members of the church, when we partake of that ordinance, in this case, the sacrament, receives the ministering of angels. It's actually a phenomenal promise that members of the church have, and many don't realize that they have it. Especially, it's important for our young women to understand that although we don't have the key of the ministering of angels, we all have the ability to have angels on our left hand and on our right hand in front of us and behind us. In fact, that topic of angels is something that Elder Holland has talked about specifically lately. He actually says the following. He says, I believe we need to speak of and believe in and bear testimony of the ministry of angels more than we sometimes do. They constitute one of God's methods of witnessing through the veil, and no document in all this world teaches that principle so clearly and so powerfully as does the Book of Mormon. But it's not just those who have passed on. We've recently had a talk by Elder Godoy talking about angels among us in this October of 2020 conference. And so when have you been or when have you received the benefit of somebody who is an angel? It was my first year of girls camp and we decided to go whitewater rafting. As we were going down the river, we came to a part where I think it was called the White Rapids where it's a pretty big rapid part, and it just so happened that me and my mom fell out of the boat. We got me into the boat pretty easily, but as we caught up to my mom, we thought there were five people helping her in, but after we did a head count, only four people helped, and so we had a feeling it was an angel helping her. And how did you feel about that, Mom? Oh, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. That was pretty scary, because when I, when we fell out, I didn't see her get back on the boat, so I thought she went under. And I do remember saying a, a prayer to please comfort me, because I knew my panicking wasn't helping and I could go under. Um, finally, I just felt a warm feeling come over me. It was very warm, because that water was cold. I do remember several people lifting me from the crazy waters, trying to get me back on the raft. And, and I do remember seeing faces and saying, wow, and I was trying to thank everyone who helped and then that's when my daughter said, Mom, that person wasn't on the boat. You know, in the Judeo-Christian world, and we as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believe that angels, even today, are helping us. So I appreciate, Naomi, you sharing that, and thank you for adding to that as well. President Oaks has a great quote on the ministering of angels and the reality that both women and men have the, have the ministering of angels. He says the following. He says, as explained earlier, through the Aaronic priesthood ordinances of baptism and the sacrament, we are cleansed of our sins and promised that if we keep our covenants, we will always have his spirit to be with us. I believe that promise not only refers to the Holy Ghost, but also to the ministering of angels. For angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Now listen carefully. So it is that those who hold the Aaronic priesthood open the door for all church members who worthily partake of the sacrament to enjoy the companionship of the spirit of the Lord and the ministering of angels. Can you imagine what a difference that makes for a sister missionary to go on a mission and recognizing that she has ministering angels by her side? Or for a young woman who's going to college for the first time and knows that she's not alone? Or for a young 11-year-old like Leilani here to know that, that she is never alone, that angels are always with you, Leilani, as long as you are keeping and doing your best to keep those covenants that you have made with God. It's an amazing and important topic. All right, Sadie, please. I love that story so much because I think it can relate to our lives. I think all of us are kind of in our own whitewater rapids in a way. We're all struggling. We may have fallen out of the boat, but that's, we literally have angels that are helping us back onto the boat. 
Absolutely. I love that you talked about helping other people too, because it's not just us falling out of the boat. We have people all around us falling out of the boat. And this is, I mean, we look at Mormon and Moroni and what they've just been through. They have watched thousands and thousands to millions of people, in a sense, that have fallen out of the boat. And they're trying to help us to understand how we can also get back in the boat. Because all of us fall, all of us fall out of the boat at some time in our lives. And we're depending on the Lord to help us to get back into that boat. And he uses angels to do so. Can somebody give us um, an example? And maybe, maybe Jen, you, you can talk to this about this a little bit about mortal ministers. I remember you were talking about Elder Godoy a little bit earlier. Maybe you could talk to us about that. Well, I'm sure you all remember Elder Godoy's talk from conference, um, just about the, he takes that quote that we just used, but talks about the angels among us as people that we walk with. I just wrote down something in my scriptures right here at verse 25 from that talk. And Elder Godoy said, the Lord is always looking for willing volunteers to be angels in others' lives. So I think that's a great, great topic to ask you guys. Um, who has been a mortal angel to you? Who's helped rescue you? Who's helped you succeed? I'm a firm believer that teachers who pray for their students are in every sense of the word angels. They minister, they teach, they bring messages. I had an early morning seminary teacher who I just think the world of and the influence that she was on me and the things that she taught me that just spoke to my spirit. And I know it's because, and because she testified to us that she prayed specifically for inspiration for each of us. It just ties us back to charity. Mm. Yeah. You know, charity motivates angels. And here we are with this beautiful chapter kind of linking these two ideas. So we've had an excellent discussion about uh, ministering of angels, how angels are present in our life, and how we can be uh, present in, in other people's lives as angelic ministers. So let's go now to our next topic, where Mormon is talking about choosing between good and evil and knowing the difference, and specifically talking about using the gift of discernment. Elder Bednar actually teaches us about the gift of, of discernment, and he usually and he uses that term specifically. And he talks about four different kinds of discernment, and I think this is extremely important. He says that discernment helps us detect hidden errors and evil in others. Second, discernment helps us detect hidden errors and evil in ourselves. And then it helps us find and bring forth the good that may be concealed in others. And then he talks about, importantly for us, it also helps us find and bring forth the good that may be concealed in us. So as we're talking about this, this ability to understand between the good and the evil that is going on, I hope we can understand that these, this is a gift that we as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are able to receive and that there are more ways that we can understand this gift of discernment and actually use it for the benefit of ourselves and other people and helping us come unto Christ. In fact, I think there might be a video that we'd like to watch about this. Hello, my name is Ingrid Cifuentes and I'm from Guatemala. Um, I'd like to make a question regarding leadership at church. You know, I'm often left wondering when a leader is given a speech, what the real motivation is behind that speech as the human beings they are. You know, is it rather impersonal or personal when acknowledging a problem at church or an issue within themselves? and that it be not necessarily something given by the Holy Spirit or by revelation. And as part of that same question, how can they confirm that what they actually said during speech or did in different circumstances was actually the right thing to say 
or do. So Jan, I, I think you have some comments or insights on that. Could you help us out, please? Yeah, um, well, I, I was listening to her concern, and it goes really right with what we're talking about here. So I'd just like to draw your attention to verse 16, where Mormon is talking about the Spirit of Christ is given to every man that he may know good from evil. And Boyd K. Packer once made some really helpful teachings on this, and he was reminding teachers and speakers and missionaries, anyone who's teaching the gospel, he says, a teacher of the gospel truths is not planting something foreign or even new into an adult or a child. Rather, the missionary or teacher is making contact with the Spirit of Christ already there. So for her, as she's sitting out listening in the audience, she needs to remember she has the gospel, the light of Christ, planted in her. And as we listen to truth, we can connect with it. And when we hear something that's not connecting then that is where we can then start exercising our ability to go and ask the Lord about it and say, I was uncomfortable with this comment, mm -hmm. and can you give me some more personal revelation mm -hmm. about that? Rather than just being uncomfortable, that's now an invitation to act and to go in prayer and, and, and do what Joseph Smith did and find out for yourself, was that that person's opinion or was that doctrine, and can you help me with it and, instead of just being uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. So. In fact, I think as teachers, it would be helpful, whether we're parents or teachers of a class or, or speakers in some way, to, to set the environment where we are saying, you know, if I say something or I do something that may be contrary to the Spirit for you, please feel free and more so, I beg of you to follow the Spirit and make sure that you're understanding how the Spirit speaks to you. Because I am not a perfect person. I'm not a perfect professor. I'm not a perfect teacher. And sometimes I may be confused on something, but the responsibility on me is to do the best that I can to teach the truth. But the responsibility is on you to make sure that the Spirit is confirming the truth. And I think Moroni gives us a lot of different tools here. In addition to saying that we each have this kind of light within us that helps us discern truth, uh, he asks, gives us several criteria, that, questions we can ask. Does it yeah. persuade us to believe in Christ? Right. Does it invite us to do good and to love God and to serve him? Um, does it, again, does it entice to do good? Does it come of God? Um, so we have different tools, not just the ability to, to recognize uh, some inherent kind of conscience or light of Christ. We have the gift of the Holy Ghost. We have our own ability to reason. Um, these are all gifts of God that we can consecrate in an effort to discern what is right and what is wrong. Daniel, can I add one more to that list that you mm -hmm. just made? In verse 19 of the same chapter, he says, Wherefore I beseech of you, brethren and sisters, that ye should search diligently in the light of Christ that ye may know good from evil. The Lord requires effort. And we've heard President Nelson say that, and we've also heard him say, information inspires inspiration. We've got to work hard. We've got to pay the price. And it's not good enough to just say, oh, I just don't know if that's true or not. Maybe it's not. I'm not going to believe. Or the opposite. I'm not sure if that's true or not. She's probably right. I'm just going to believe her. No, the Lord requires diligent effort. He requires us to pay a price and he requires us to really study. At least in my life, that's been my experience. The more I study and the more diligent I am, the more clear things become. And then I will know through the spirit whether or not it is good or in this case, evil. And I was just gonna say that in, in light of the work that we need to do here, um, Elder Bednar's list talked about being able to discern the good and evil in ourselves. And sometimes we, we're raised to believe worldly things and our worldly belief then con, you know, conflicts with something that might be declared by a church leader. And the church leader has truth, but because we believe something that's not, it, it, it creates dissonance. And we need to have the spirit of discernment to be able to tell that we have adopted a worldly viewpoint 
And we need to give that up and, and start being willing to receive the truth that we're hearing. I think that the more we are obedient to that spirit that's telling us what we are saying or what we are doing or what we're believing is right or wrong, the more clear that message from the Lord is. Or in other words, the more obedient we are to the spirit and that gift of discernment, the, more, the, the stronger that gift and ability becomes in our lives. We really appreciate our audience for coming today. And, and Jan, especially, thank you for expertise. Your understanding of literature has been extremely helpful. Thank you. We would like to thank all of you in the audience as well for coming. Thank you. We know that you have had so many wonderful insights and we appreciate your questions as well. Thank you so much. And to those of you at home, thank you for sending us your comments and your questions via social media. And we hope to see you sometimes in the studio. But if uh, you can't come, we hope you'll join us next week on Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.